0: Easter, he is risen. What a what a great chance of set of worship, um, powerful stories of how Jesus changes lives. I don't even really need to preach. I guess I mean that was powerful, and that's that's what Easter is all about. How Jesus's resurrection has the power to change your life, and I love. How Andy says that. He still says that all the time. If God can do all of this for me, what do you think he could do in your life? And so that's why we get together on Easter, and that's why we celebrate because Jesus's life means your life. And so it is a privilege to be able to be here. We're thankful that we can gather as a family, and we recognize this morning that there are many here with us today who are visitors and so we want to say to you, we're, we're glad that you're here. And if we can do anything to walk this life with you, to carry burdens with you, to pray with you, that is why we are here as a church. We'd love to walk with you and we'd love to connect you to a church family. How, to, how can you live life without this kind of family helping you when you need it? And so we would love to meet you and to pray with you and to connect you to this church. This morning, we're starting a new series, and we're going to call it Love Your Neighbor. And over the next several weeks, the next month, we're really going to be focusing on Jesus's call to love him and love your neighbor. And so as I've been thinking about this series and what what it's going to look like, one question has been in my head about what we're trying to do as a church. Okay, so here's the question that I want us to wrestle with and to think about What would it look like if you left church today and you decided that you would put your greatest energy, your greatest focus, doing what Jesus says is his greatest command? So that's the question. What would it look like if we decided to shift and to focus? and put our greatest amount of energy doing what Jesus says is the most important, the most time that we could give to following this, the most money, the most resources, the most strength, where we said we are going to become laser focused on Jesus' greatest command. This is, seems pretty logical to me that we would do this, right? That this is, this is a pretty basic leadership and life lesson, that you focus on what is most important. Isn't that how we're coached in life? That the most important things get our greatest focus. I'm a soccer coach uh, for my, son's, my nine-year-old son's soccer team, and I grew up playing soccer, I love soccer, and one of the things that I've learned about the game of soccer is that the most important skill in soccer is learning how to pass the ball. It sounds really basic, but it really is, it is the centerpiece of soccer, that if you can learn to receive the ball and then play the ball to the right player at the right time, at the right in the right space, you will be a great soccer player, that you don't really have to know a lot about soccer. You don't have to be very strong or very fast. You you don't have to be any of those things, but if you can learn to be a great passer, you will be great at soccer. And so I know this as a coach, that I'm gonna try to teach these nine-year-olds that the most important thing is learning how to receive the ball and pass the ball. And what do they wanna do when they get to practice? They want to play World Cup. They want to scrimmage the girls. And they want to do all these fun and games. And I'm a really fun coach. No, we're not doing any of those things. We will do drills on passing over and over and over again. Because this is the most important thing. And this is what we learn with Jesus He has told us, you know, we don't have to go on some quest to find out the most important thing for your life. You don't have to have a dream about what God wants you to do for your life. You don't have to have this moment of realization. God, in his greatness, very plainly tells us through Jesus Christ for all of us, what is the greatest thing? for you and your life what should we pursue more than anything else and in the gospels this is called the great commandment love the lord your god with your heart with all your heart soul strength and mind and love your neighbor like yourself it's in three of the gospels and in matthew he says as, he, as jesus shares this most Great commandment. This is what Jesus says. He says, this is the first and greatest commandment. First and greatest. Meaning, this takes the bank. I mean, this is everything. Put it on your wall. Think about it. I mean, this is the foundation. And so, as a church, I think it makes a lot of sense for us to, to pause and to consider if Jesus says first and greatest, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If Jesus says that, it it makes a lot of sense that we would slow down and really think about what does it mean to really focus on this command? Because here's the truth, or here's the reality. In this life, we can only do a few things well. We don't have the time or the money or the resources or the ability to do everything we want to really, really well. And so if we can only do a few things well, we better make sure that one of those things is what Jesus says is the most and greatest command that he gives. And so this morning, we want to read Luke 10, 25 through 28. And then the With that, with the great commandment, Jesus tells us a parable, a famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's read that, and then we'll open our time in prayer. Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29. But he, desiring, he the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to put more focus and more energy on following what your Son says is the greatest of all commandments. God, help us as we consider What does it look like for us to love you with our heart, soul, strength, and mind? And what does it look like to love our neighbor as ourselves? We are so focused on so many things. But God, I pray that you would help us to consider what it would look like to center ourselves on this great command. And so, God, we pray that as we study what it means to do these things, God, help us, help us to understand, help us to see, convict us, and lead us that we might be the people that you created us to be. It's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. As we think about this passage, I want to take the two questions of the lawyer. This week, We wanna look at his first question there in verse 25. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And to me, this is the bridge that gets us to the Good Samaritan until we can answer this question, till we can really grasp what he's saying here. There's no way that we can love our neighbor. And then for the next four or five weeks, we're gonna look at the second half of this passage, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus's answer to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor? But again, we don't get to the second commandment until we go through the first. Until we love God with everything that we are, we can't begin to love our neighbors. And so this morning, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. What shall I do to inherit eternal life. Now, this would not have been a lawyer that we think of as a lawyer. This would be what's called a religious lawyer. So he was a Jewish, believing, religious lawyer. He was a master of the Old Testament scriptures. And what his job was as an expert, he would use the law to trap people in their misdoings. So the text is telling us As a religious lawyer, he's not just a lawyer, as that's some side detail. What what we learn from this text is that he's not just a lawyer. He is acting in his role currently with Jesus. He is prosecuting Jesus. This is not an innocent question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. But we know that his heart is to trap Jesus. The text tells us he is testing Jesus. How do you like tests, students? This is not a good thing. Yeah, you like tests, okay. This is not a good test. The lawyer wants to trap Jesus. And so there's two things I think he's trying to do with this question. He wants Jesus to condemn himself with the answer to the question. And by doing so, he also at the same time wants to justify himself. So he's condemning Jesus. He wants Jesus to openly answer the question in a way that he would be condemned. And by doing so, at the same time, he will have self-justification. Okay, so let's think about that. He's prosecuting Jesus. What shall I do to eternal life? What was the lawyer hoping he'd say? I mean, he clearly is hoping Jesus would diminish the law. The Ten Commandments, like, you, you don't need to worry about those to inherit eternal life. The Sabbath, just forget about it. Just ignore the Torah. Just do whatever you want. Love God. Be a good person. I mean, this is what the lawyer is hoping for. This would have been a case for him that he would have known as Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28.9 says, if you diminish the law, you are an abomination, What did they do with abominations in this culture? They would take them outside the camp and they would rid them from their presence. They would stone them. And so the lawyer is hoping that Jesus would diminish the law so that he can go and stone him. And at the same time, he's not just prosecuting Jesus, but he is trying to self-justify. That's what verse 29 tells us. he, He feels guilty. Everything that Jesus has done in his life and ministry has not lined up with what this religious lawyer has grown up to believe. Jesus is going around to the crowds. He's calling kids. In John chapter five, he calls the children. He says, repent and believe the kingdom is yours. Believe and you have the kingdom. Receive and you have the kingdom. And listen, this was not at all congruent with what this lawyer was taught his whole life. It wasn't receive the kingdom. The lawyer was taught that you have to achieve your way into the kingdom, that you have to do and you have to produce and you have to be and you have to accomplish all of these things. And here comes Jesus, and he is just flipping it all upside down. And so the religious lawyer does not like this, and he feels guilty, and so he's seeking to justify himself. And so Jesus, brilliantly, doesn't answer his question, but instead, what does he do? He asks him a question instead. Parents, we do this with our kids. I love confusing my children by doing this. You don't answer their questions, but instead, Jesus is trapping him. Now, this is not the same kind of trap that the lawyer is giving to Jesus. Jesus is trapping him with his love. Like, the brilliant teacher that he is, like teachers can do. He is leading this lawyer to discover what's truth about, in, about inheriting eternal life. And so what does Jesus ask him? He says, well, how about you tell me, what does the law say? I mean, how would you answer this question, lawyer? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what does the law say? He, Jesus isn't asking him, to repeat to him verbatim the 613 Old Testament laws. Nor is he asking him to restate the 10 commandments. This instead he's saying, give me the heart of the law and what the law would say about the answer to your question. And so for this for this lawyer, for the rabbis, th- this should have been this was easy. This was something they did often. They could summarize the law. It was typical for them to do that. How did they summarize it? Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Leviticus 19, love the neighbor, love the sojourner, love the slave love the poor, love the destitute. And so these rabbis would take the 613 laws, take the Shema, take Leviticus 19, and and they boiled it all down to love the Lord your God with everything that you are and love your neighbor. I mean, this was the Ten Commandments. The first five focused on loving God, not putting anything before God, no idols, not taking his name in vain. The last five of the commandments, all about Loving your neighbor. And so from the 613 laws to the 10 laws, now down to the two. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus says, he says, you, you're right. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The the question that you just answered is the answer for your question as well. How do I inherit eternal life? What does the law say? You have answered correctly, but what's Jesus doing, right? I mean, Jesus, I already said he's trapping this man. He's he's cornering this man. Well, what, what kind of trap is Jesus setting? Well, I think it's obvious. He's telling the man that this is the answer, and what he's asking the lawyer is, how do you do in following these two commands? Because it's the answer. It's the answer for us today. Do you want to earn eternal life? Love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the reality. And the the lawyer would have gotten this, implicitly gotten this. We fall way short of accomplishing those two commands. Look at just the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and soul strength, and mind. I mean, there's lots of ways that pastors will kind of parse out those different categories, but I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to do. I think what Jesus is saying, he's saying, love God with everything that you are, your mind and your hands and your essence and your being. I mean, you love him totally and completely. There are no alternatives there are no competitive competitors. There's no secret compartments. There are no, I love you, but. I mean, nothing rivals the love that you have for the Father. Okay? This is what he's saying. You love God totally and preeminently. That nothing stands in the way of your love for the Father. So if that was the one and only test for inheriting and receiving and earning eternal life. I mean, how, how would we do? What was the lawyer thinking? If we get up there one day, and they and, and this is how I picture it, it's probably not like this, but there's a judge and you, there's a long cloud and they're looking down at you and love the Lord your God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. How'd you do? I mean, what would we say? What would the lawyer have said? No. No, I haven't done that. I've loved myself. I love my job, I love my family sometimes more than God, I love my comfort, I love my sin, I love my all these things that we can list if if we're asked the one question: do you love God totally and preeminently? And that's the one question we would all say, we have failed. We have not done it perfectly. And the lawyer, you, you can just tell he is starting. He senses that. I will not justify myself by the first part of the commandment. And so he starts to grasp for straws, and he goes to the second commandment. Well, maybe, maybe I can self-justify through the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this maybe is more reasonable. Jesus isn't asking us to love our neighbor more than we love ourselves. Just as much as you love yourself, love your neighbor. So let's think about that. Love the neighbor as much as you love yourself. So with as much energy as you love yourself, with as much creativity as you love yourself, with as much money and time and delight and thought and actions that you love and care for yourself, that is to be the guide, the measuring stick by which we are to love the neighbors that are around us. So easy enough, right? No. I mean, all of a sudden it hits you, it hits the lawyer. We we fall short on this one as well. I mean, this sounds weird, but we love ourselves mightily. I mean, we, we will do anything to position ourselves, to care for ourselves, to be relaxed and happy. I mean, we put so much energy to love ourselves. And listen, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. This, this is merely the measuring stick that Jesus gives us by which we are to love others. And the lawyer is uncomfortable with this. Right? How do we know the lawyer is uncomfortable? Because what's the, question, the next question? Well, well, who's my neighbor? Maybe if we can define this in such a way that the neighbor is someone that I love, then maybe I can be self-justified. That's what he's doing. He's saying, help me understand who the neighbor is, because then maybe I can be self-justified. But here's, here's the problem with that. Define the neighbor which we'll do over the next four weeks, but to find a neighbor with the people that are the easiest to love or the people that you should love the most, your wife or your husband, your kids, your brothers and your sisters. I mean, do you love them as much as you love yourself? We don't. We don't. Sometimes the people we love the most are the ones that are the hardest to love. We take from them. We're rude to them. We ignore them. We put them down. And so even if the neighbor was just the people in your immediate family, and it's not, by the way. It's a lot more than that. But even if it was, we would have to conclude we don't keep this command either. So so what is Jesus doing? Right, that's the question. Like, what, what is Jesus trying to do with this lawyer? He just said this is the greatest and this is the first, uh, first commandment. Love God with everything that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself if you want to inherit and to gain eternal life. But what, why is he saying this? He wants you and he wants me and he wants the lawyer to realize that we can't do it that we can't earn our way by what we do to get eternal life. We can't self-justify, right? The one thing we're supposed to do or we should, we we're called to do, we, we can't do it. Here's the question the lawyer should have asked. He should have asked, well, then, since I can't self-justify, by loving my neighbor and by accomplishing loving loving you with everything, what or how can I justify myself? I mean, that would have been the right question. How do I justify myself? Because I can't do it based on loving others and loving God. And what what would Jesus have said? Here's what he would have said. I didn't just come as a rabbi. I didn't just come as a spiritual leader or a teacher, but I came also as your justifier. I came as your solution. You can't do what you're, is required of you, and I came to fix that problem, that Jesus didn't come just to teach some really good lessons, but he came and he loved God perfectly, and he loved his neighbor perfectly. And out of his love, he went to the cross. He paid the debt. He was resurrected so that, you are, so that your ability to get to heaven is not through what you do, because he no, you can't do it. And so Jesus comes to fix that, to be the solution, that if you would just believe in him, everything would be set straight. Everything would be made right because we can't do it otherwise. Here's what Tim Keller says about understanding this before we think about loving God and loving our neighbor. He says, real love starts when you're stunned into silence by the love of Christ for paying your debt. Let me put it this way, and we'll wrap up with this. Until you see yourself in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the parable? We read it. The, the starting point of loving God and loving our neighbor is seeing that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, we, we, we try to place who the Good Samaritan is and who the Levite is and who the priest is and who the man on the side of the street is. Here's the first step. When we see ourselves as the wounded man in the parable and when we see Jesus being the Good Samaritan, we will never grasp what we're called to do in loving God and loving our neighbor until we see the parable is about me. I was wounded and dying on the side of the street because of my sin and my selfishness and not loving God with everything that I have, and that Jesus is the Good Samaritan, that He's the one that came. Now, in the parable, he binds up the wound. He pays for his care. He goes, and he's, he's with them. Well, Jesus is our good Samaritan. He was stripped, and he was scourged. He was dragged, and he was beaten, and he was crucified. And he resurrected. And that's, that's what we celebrate today, that though we can't do the one thing we're supposed to do, Jesus made another way that Jesus paid our debt, and out of recognition of that love, that Jesus came and he paid the price and he made things right, out of understanding that love for you, then, now, we can begin to think about how do we love God and how do we love our neighbor? But listen, it doesn't start until we recognize That we need Jesus to come and to fix things. And so this is what Easter is all about. That Jesus rose and he gives new life. Life to your failures. And to my failures and my deficiencies and my sin. And all the ways I try to work my way to God. And the meaning of Easter is that no longer do we have to do that. And so for some of us this morning, some of us need to stop being lawyers. I mean, working and trying and accomplishing and trying to do all the right things because the reality is we can't do it and we need to be more like Andy. Remember Andy? You know, when he came into my office that day, several years ago, he knew who he was in the parable. He knew that he had messed up and he knew he was at the bottom of all bottoms. And he knew that he needed someone to help him. He needed someone to save him. And this is, this is where it begins. And, and for Andy, that's where it began. I, I can't do it myself any longer. And it took a lot of circumstances for him to get there. But when he finally realized, I am the man on the side of the road. I have nothing left to give or to do or to offer. And I said, but Jesus has come to you. He has come to save you. And it was out of that understanding that now Andy is just on fire for Jesus. Loving God, loving neighbor, but it starts with recognizing we can't do enough. And so my prayer this morning is that for some of us who are lawyers, lawyers, we're asking questions, we're seeking to self-justify that we would see. And we can ask any question we want, but we fall way short. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, and thanks be to God for, for Easter Sunday and resurrection, that though we can't do the first and the greatest commandment, Jesus has come to justify. Let's bow our heads. If there's someone here this morning who feels like today that that's that's me, that I've been trying to justify myself to get to heaven, that I've been working so hard to do enough good things, but today you realize I, I fall way short. And if you think this morning and you believe this morning that you want Jesus to be your justifier, then pray this with me. Father, I have failed to love you, and I have failed to love my neighbor. I am the person in the parable lying on the roadside in a pool of blood. Yet I believe in you, that you are my good Samaritan, that by your son's death and resurrection, you have taken care of me, and you have forgiven me of my failures, and you have given me new life. Now, out of that belief that I can't do enough but you've done more than enough. Help me to grow and to live and to love those all around me. Amen. If this is you and and you're struggling, or you've prayed this, or you have questions, we would love to talk to you, and we'd love to walk with you, and we'd love to continue to point you to Jesus. We'd love for you to get baptized, just like Andy and the rest of them did. We will do that anytime you're ready, because as you Open up out of this gratitude for what Jesus has done. uh, We want to walk that path with you. So now let's continue to sing about the power of Jesus.